Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello there. Welcome to this week's Arscast. This is version two. I'm back in Dublin. I'm back in front of my computer. I've got a better microphone. I've got a better computer and better tools at my disposal to hopefully clean up the audio a little bit from the live event we did in the garage in Highbury and Islington on Thursday night. Myself and James are joined by Amy Lawrence, Philippe Clare, and Stuart McFarlane, the club photographer. A load of great people came out to see the show and it was fantastic. We all had a great night and good chats and a couple of beers together and it was, it was all in all great fun fun, but it has to be said, the sound guy had a bit of a mare. Unfortunately, as I explained in the uh, in the first little intro I did on Thursday, uh, the first few minutes of the podcast were not recorded. So we missed uh, the introductions and we missed a great story from Amy, who overheard people on the way in uh, talking about the podcast. We said, well, it's good, but it's just not as funny as it used to be, which uh, raised a lot of laughs. And that's referenced uh, throughout the podcast. So what I've done is I've managed to clean up the audio a little bit, take some of the hiss out of it, make the uh, the people talking sound a bit more uh, there, if you get me. What it has done, though, is sort of uh, take out a bit of the background noise so the audience uh, it doesn't sound quite as, as present as they were. And obviously, when you hear uh, the audience laughing, they were laughing much louder than it sounds on this. And I'm not just saying that. They, they really were. The audience were really into it. But to, uh, to sort of balance this uh, sound problem that we had, this is the thing. So, look, we're going to get on with the podcast. We pick it up um, when the sound guy remembers that he had to put the fader up to start the recording. And James is talking just a little bit about the Champions League game on Wednesday night. League game for seven years, according to Opta, where there were more goals than shots on target. <laughs> True. Really? Yeah. That's bananas. I know. That's a kind of West Brom-like statistic. I know. <laughs> but that has been the way of it, hasn't it, in the last few weeks? I mean, I, I, last night, though, I felt... Why was last night worse than... Than the Man U game. I mean, why? Why did it bother you more, Andrew? Do you think? Why do you think it was more? Because sex? scoring late at Old Trafford, playing shit, is really great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's true. I think the United game. You know, uh, Jose Mourinho said afterwards that he had had a draw that felt like a defeat, which is brilliant, and we were all delighted by that. Um, but last night for for, you know, for Arsenal was exactly that. It was a draw which felt like a defeat because of the the ramifications, I guess, in terms of the Champions League group, what I, it does. I think it's easy to be pretty negative, which some people out there in sort of social media land have been after the last few results. But if you step back for a second, I think one thing that, that is positive is that in all three games, maybe in the last couple of years, they could have ended in defeats, and none of them did. And I think that's notable, particularly as, as it's November, you know, to be still unbeaten with a bit of November to go. Is that, it, it is a better than normal. So you have to give it a little bit of positive spin. Right? Sure. Philip, you, you, you have a theory, Philippe, about November, isn't that right? Well, it's actually a serious theory. Okay. I, I wasn't making light of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you wouldn't do that, C- would Can you? you make it funny, Philippe? Because apparently the podcast's really gone down out. 
No, um, it, can't be, it can't be by chance that every year we have this dip at this time of the season. And um, Arsenal is not the only club, by the way, to experience that. The neighbours up north have got um, the same problem. And I think a lot of it comes to the pre-season uh, conditioning. Uh, because what you try and do is, normally you should condition your players so they hit the peak more towards the end of the season. When you ask too much from them during the preseason, what you have is a team that is very fit at the beginning, then has this dip, which is generally around November, early December. And the fact it's happened so many seasons on the trot makes me think that, as many players have said, the preseason training program is perhaps a little bit too harsh on, on, on the bodies of the players, and that you suffer from that. And I have to say that when I was been watching all the games, I was at all the games actually in November, uh, I, I, I felt players who physically were not quite at where they should be at this stage of the season. Um, apart from Alexis Sanchez, who's got, I don't know, a special deal with God, to, <laughs> to quote Kate Bush. Um, not the same, obviously. Uh, but he's, uh, he seems to be impervious to these kind of things. But the others, you look at Ozil, Alexis Wobby also has, has a problem. Um, and you look, I mean, at Theo Walcott, we'll probably talk more about Theo in a minute, but... Oh, great. <laughs> okay, maybe not. Uh, but it seems an awful lot of them have got physical problems at the moment, which is, you shouldn't have in, in November. No way. And uh, if you compare with the teams which are doing very well at the moment, namely the guys down south in blue, uh, the, the, the contrast is, is absolutely phenomenal. Would that have something to do with the fact that they're not playing any midweek football? It will have football? to do with that. It will also have to do with the fact that when you don't play midweek football, uh, it means the manager has got time to prepare tactically for mm. the next game, which is one thing which is often forgotten about, is that when you're playing Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday or Sunday, you don't have time to genuinely prepare your team. It's all about recuperation. And um, so it's a great luxury for Klopp and for, uh, for Conte to have this time not only for rest, but also for preparation for the next game. Arsenal doesn't have this luxury. And Stuart, I mean, how do you uh, view things from your uh, pretty unique position, uh, close to the pitch or up in the stands, taking these pictures? I mean, what, what do you think? Well, I was with uh, Ray Parler today, and right. he was talking about uh, even 15 years ago, we had a lull in November. It's not, like a, it's not a new thing. Mm. And the training regime has, it's not as physically demanding pre-season, but it just seems to be something that we've had for even since since 2001. So I don't, don't yeah. really understand the reasons for it. Right. Well, someone needs so to have a word. my theory. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Sorry. Isn't, isn't Sorry. Conte's preseason training ridiculous as well? Uh, pretty ridiculous, yes. Yeah. Uh, not as ridiculous as Pochettino's. Right. Uh, which is absolutely insane. Um, <laughs> But, you like know, they, what? I mean, does he make them Well, the, the walk thing is that because he, you know, <laughs> <laughs> he insists he's one of those double session kind of guys, which, you know, is not the case at Arsenal, certainly not as, as a rule. But uh, the fact that, you, you know, you have a physical dip always at the same moment in the year makes you think that there is a slight problem somewhere. Yeah. So it's not a, it's a hypothesis rather than okay. a theory. All right. Okay. Thank you. It's not, it's not just the physical dip in the players out on the pitch, though. It's also that injuries come like at the same point uh, year on year on year. And how much, how much do you think that the, the way we've played in the last few games is to do with the particular absentee? So you'd look at, I mean, Santi Cazorla and Hector Bellerin are, are a really big two in that respect, aren't they? I think we, like, we clearly really miss them. I just think, I, I remember speaking to one of the players a little while ago from 
the old days, you're talking about Ray just now, and them talking about when Arsene first arrived and the sessions being quite light compared to what they were used to under George and um, that kind of toughness of regime. And the whole atmosphere around the place changed and players didn't feel that fit. And Arsene just kept saying to them, just trust me now, you know, it's, it's all right because the time when you need to be fit feeling like you're on fire at the end of the season, mm. you will be flying. And, it, you know, there's almost a sense that it's incredibly difficult to have this high-intensity physical level from right at the start of the season to right at the end without a dip somewhere along the line. Now, Leicester came pretty close last year to not dipping, um, but it's, that's very much the exception rather than the rule. And as you touched on with the lack of European football, it can make a big difference. But I think being regularly in the Champions League, as Arsenal are... Um, it's maintaining all the interest in all the competitions, juggling the squad, dealing with the injuries, and knowing. I think deep down, Arsene knows there will be a period which you've just got to kind of get through. So, so is this something we should nearly be a little bit more upbeat about because there's yep. a, a more resilience to the team perhaps this season that these three fixtures, which are difficult against top-quality opposition, we probably would have fallen on our face a bit in, in yeah. previous years. I think you've so got, we can be encouraged by that. I, I think so, because every team will go through these kind of phases, and what you've got to be able to do is to manage the weak moments in your, in your season. If you do that, uh, there's every chance that you're going to be very high up at the end of the season, because you, you will have managed to do that. And if you look at the champions um, of the past few years, it's always been the case. There's a moment when you've got four, five, six games where you're not quite together, but... If you get a point here, a point there, three points here, you'll be doing all right. You'll get back, uh, which is what, uh, sorry, but Tottenham have been doing because they're going through exactly the same problem at the moment. Arsenal are still unbeaten is what, now 18 games, which is pretty remarkable series. Um, and so you would imagine that as well when Casola comes back, but also when Danny Welbeck comes back, who offers an awful lot, um, you, you will see a, a team that perhaps, um, well, reminds us of what it was like just about a month ago, how much our, our, our discourse has changed, hasn't it? Because it was the all singing, all dancing Arsenal was back yeah. a, a, few, a couple of well, a few weeks ago. Some told me yesterday, this is the second longest unbeaten run since Invincibles, which I could, I could not believe that. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, that's, that's, I think preserving that is a really important uh, thing for this team, even, from a, uh, even if they're a bit mentally fragile at times. You know, doing what they did at Old Trafford to dig out a, a late point and, and going unbeaten in these games, I, you know, I think it can only in, instill them with confidence. You know, maybe they don't, they're maybe not as self-analytical as, as we are. You know, when we look at things and we're analysing it, they just look, well, we haven't been beaten and we're tough to beat now, even when we're not playing particularly well. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think one thing that people would point the finger at Arsenal teams of late is this sort of vulnerability mentally, the feeling that there's a fragility that's around the corner. And not being unbeaten is an answer to that of sorts. But I think, as you say, Philippe, you know, a month or so ago where people are saying the old Arsenal are back, this is reminiscent of the great Arsenal teams. It's only set against that bar that people are whinging at the minute, I would say. Um, but that's where personnel choices become interesting because obviously when, you know, if you take that win against Chelsea is probably the best performance of the season and you had this connection going on between Alexis Sanchez and Ozil, both playing high up the pitch, almost like a 4-4-2 classic invincible stars with Burkamp off Henri and the wide players pushing up. And it felt reminiscent of that. But that has faded in the last few weeks. So it's a question of how quickly, if at all, Arsene Wenger can get himself back or get the team back to where they were, those kind of levels. Right. 
So, I mean, just going back to PSG and where it leaves us in terms of the Champions League, James, uh, it could be another second-place finish. But when you look at some of the other groups, maybe second-place is not as uh, as dangerous as it might have yeah, been in other could, years. Could, you know, we, we could get those minnows Barcelona <laughs> uh, or Atletico or Juventus or one of those. No, I mean, look, we'll avoid Bayern Munich uh, if we finish second, which has have been, the, you know, they've been our scourge in the past, but there are plenty of other good teams. I mean, you're kind of at the mercy of the draw to an extent, and I think that... It's going to be Barcelona. Yeah. <laughs> you can all book your flights now. We can cut the to the chase, flights. I guess. It probably will be Barcelona. I mean, look, the thing is, we've been knocked out at the first knockout stage. I think it's six years in a row. And I think in five of those six years, we finished second in the group. I don't feel that that's coincidence. You know, I mean, even if you're looking at the scale of the club, the size of the club, if they've won the group, they're doing something right. You don't want to be drawn against them. Mm. So uh, I, I was really optimistic after the draw in Paris that we could go on and top the group. To not do so now... Um, it is frustrating, it is frustrating, but uh, we've just got to hope for the best, I guess. Which means getting the winner of uh, Group B. Yeah. Which is Napoli, uh, Benfica, Besiktas, basically one of those three. Right. Well, I mean... <laughs> so it's like a one in six shot or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's going to be tough. I mean, do you, do you feel, Philippe, it's important for this team to progress beyond the round of 16 this season? I mean, is it becoming a millstone... <laughs> Yeah, it's becoming a bit boring, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I know. Um, yes, it, 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 it is important because I think as well that the way the season started, you thought there aren't too many injuries, the team is playing well, uh, the results are coming, there's the undefeated run, uh, the group didn't look particularly difficult, PSG are going through a transition phase, which is quite difficult for them after Laurent Blanc going, Zlatan going, which was a big one, Unai Emery taking quite a while to settle in and being the, the butt of a lot of criticism back in France, you think, well, this is actually a good time uh, and a perfect occasion to do that. I mean, I, I, I personally, I still think that this squad is probably the most complete, uh, the most versatile that we've had, well, since 2003, 2004. I, al I also think um, amidst this kind of lamenting of finishing second in the group and it's all very friendly, I mean... I might be missing something here, but I think there's a team from North London that just didn't get anywhere at all. It is going to be really fun watching Spurs trying to fill Wembley on for a Europa League game. <laughs> I, you know that apparently they're, um, they're thinking of moving the game back to White Hart Lane. I think they are, but I think Pochettino said today he expects it to be Wembley, so... That'll be a spectacle to behold. <laughs> I, honestly, I, I might, you, I might go just to watch. That, that, that's one seat sold. I mean, <laughs> they, they, well, it won't be sold. You'll be in the press box, mate. <laughs> True. <laughs> uh, but they, will there be fewer people than for the Johnston's Paints Trophy or something like that? Or Maybe. The I mean, they, guys, they could set a record. <laughs> the lowest of ever attendance at, yeah, Wembley. at Wembley. Spurs yeah. will win something this year. <laughs> hey. Hey. Uh, just one thing I did want to mention, um, and I know it's... Uh, it's probably a difficult thing to say, uh, and it's a, it's a strange time, but I think we should stop really and very seriously take a moment to thank Edinson Cavani yeah. for, <laughs> for, for being oh. absolutely rubbish at finishing. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's it's quite extraordinary. I mean, how this man manages to score 20, 25 goals a season is beyond me. I mean... Have you seen... Uh, I mean, Philippe, you know, what is happening in Liga? What's going on? 
Are they just well, giving him the ball in front of goal 100 times a game? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, <laughs> it was the Champions League game. I have no I idea. Know. I mean, in Ligue 1, you know, you've got one great team, Monaco. Yeah. Great results, haven't they had in the yeah. Champions League? <laughs> um, nice is very good to watch, too. The PSG are a very fine team. There's absolutely no problem with that. But Cavani is... Um, I was talking to some PSG supporters before the game. I mean, the ones who don't want to kill me because I write a lot about PSG and not things <laughs> that they like very much. But um, they, um, they, they told me, uh, just wait for Cavani. He's bound to miss two or three chances. And they were right. I mean, the, the it's one v one like against it's happened before. Absolutely. It happens every game, apparently. Yeah. I think so, so do, do the players And like, they play 53 the million like for him. Do the, players, do the PSG players like Cavani? It just seemed to be, for me, for where I sat, missed a couple of chances, and the players, it seemed to, the body language didn't look great no. between the players. I couldn't possibly comment apart from saying that you're completely <laughs> there right. There we go. <laughs> No, you're right. No, it's some compilation in the two games. It's, it's fantastic. Majestic. So thank you very much, Edinson Cavani. Mm -hmm. We really appreciate it. It's great. Yeah. Um, 53 million. That's how many chances he's missed. The <laughs> ching That was an own goal right yeah. there. <laughs> or an open goal, I mean. No, that was an assist. <laughs> and they said it wasn't as funny as it used to be. I know. Come here, Amy. Um... What's going on with Granite Xhaka? <laughs> no, I don't mean to put you on the spot or anything. But. It's bonkers, isn't it? Um, I, I wish I had some special insight, but I'm just as confused as everybody else. And I think it's bizarre. I, I actually took the trouble today to look at the statistics of how often Emmanuel Petit and Robert Perez played at the start of their Arsenal careers, because it's quite an easy comparison to make, there's a, a, a sentiment, a, a, a memory of them taking a while to bed in, taking a few months to find their feet and become the great players that they, they would come at Arsenal. But when I look back at the stats, what was quite surprising to me is how often they both played, right from the beginning of being signed. Uh, Emmanuel Petit started the first game of the season and was virtually not out the side. He had a couple where he started and was subbed early on, but other than that, he played 90 minutes virtually every game. Um, Robert Perez had the rather famous story of sitting on the bench at Sunderland for his first ever game, thinking, where am I? What, what am I doing here? And can I please get the hell out of here? Um, as he watched Sunderland trying to kick lumps out of Arsenal in a pretty dour 0-0 draw that was uh, shy of genuine kind of chances to show quality. Um, but he also played a lot of football from the start. Now, it did take them both that period of time to, to really flourish. Um, but the strange thing for Xhaka is he's not really getting the game time. And for a guy who the only more expensive players than him really, uh, recently if ever, are the star attacking players in Ozil and Alexis Sanchez, it, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, so I guess we just have to wait. And, and hope. I mean, it might, I think it must be quite hard for him because coming from a club where he was the captain, he was the mainstay, he played all the time, and obviously feeling this was an upward move for him personally, excited. He's, a, by all accounts, a, a, a smashing guy, very upbeat, very happy, um, came very motivated. It just, I'm, I imagine he's a little bit bewildered to be not getting much of a chance. So it's going to be a challenge. And if he, 
like all these things, if he comes out the other side, he'll be the stronger for it. But I can't imagine it's easy. Mm. Any theories, Philippe, on, on why he's being left out of the side? I was very surprised no, not I'm, to I'm, see him I'm, start. I'm like Amy, I'm like you, like everybody else. Um, we were all scratching our heads and wondering what on earth is going wrong. Because also, when he's been called upon, he hasn't been bad at all. Actually, he's been pretty damn good. And he offers things that other players don't offer. He certainly is a better distributor of the ball than Coquelin, for example. He's got a wonderful shot on him. Uh, he's tough. Uh, sometimes a little bit hot-blooded, but who cares? Um, I, don't, I don't quite understand. I, I genuinely, we're, we're all like us, I think he, there, there is no single reason that you can point at him. Has he been injured? No. Has he been rubbish? No. Has he been suspended? Not yet. <laughs> this will happen, though. Because I think last season he, did, he, he had he got a red 12, card. Yes, well, okay. I, he got 12 yellows and one red. Yeah, well, 12 yellows and one red last season or something like that. It's absolutely extraordinary. Do you, do you think he gave Arsene Wenger a Phil Collins compilation for his birthday? Or <laughs> it's the only possible explanation. <laughs> yeah, you've got your ear to the ground, Stuart. What's gone on with Granite on the training ground? What's o- he done? Ask Amy. <laughs> <laughs> It is weird. I, I wondered if the writing... Not writing on the wall is a very strong way to put it. I wonder if it spelled trouble when I saw Arsene describing him, saying that he considers him more a box-to-box player. I wondered if that was an issue, because it kind of means that rather than being direct competition for Cochrane, say, as the kind of deepest line midfielder, he's against the likes of Ramsey and Cazorla, who we know Arsene thinks an awful lot of. It is just strange, though, to spend that much money on a player. You know, Arsene Wenger doesn't do that. He doesn't go out and spend £35 million even if there are season ticket renewals to be done at that time of year. <laughs> it, it, is, it is a suspicious thing. And, and I, you know, I don't think there's anything particularly murky underlying it. But as soon as the team came out last night, I thought, well, the chat's going to be about Shaka because Cochrane and Ramsey as a midfield pairing is something that's been tried before. I think we saw it maybe even on the opening day of the Premier League season. And it, and it hasn't, hasn't ever really worked for me. Mm, same, same. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I think, and I think when you haven't got Cazorla in there, I think Shaka's your best distributor in midfield. I think he's the guy. You know, there's been a lot of talk about Mesut Özil going off the ball, off the boil rather in the last few games. But I think he hasn't been on the ball. I think he hasn't got the supply line, which Cazorla's so so good at finding him early. Yeah, and then of course, uh, instead of Granit Xhaka, he played Aaron Ramsey, who's becoming something of a, a lightning rod for frustration for the, for this team and for the way it's playing. Um, a little unfairly, I, I, I think, think. very unfairly. You know, uh, he's a guy who's been played out of position. Um, yep. I think we need we need to see him get a run of games in, in the centre of midfield. Um, that would mean rotating the squad perhaps more than has been the case, because in his best position, he can be an absolutely terrific player. He's yep. one of the few midfielders that Arsenal have who actually does runs in the box. He's a goal scorer. I don't know. I'd like to see him perhaps, you know, why not try him at number 10 from, one to, from time well, to time? What's wrong with that? That's what you said, James, earlier on. Well, I think, I think he is really a number 10. I think that's his best position. I think he's an attacking midfield player who needs to be given that license. And Wales do that really well. They afford him that. Yep. But you can't do that uh, if you've got Mesut Ozil in the side, uh, I would suggest. So it's, but it's you've got tricky. a right to rest Mesut from time to time, you know. that It happens. Other managers Not under Arsene Wenger. <laughs> no, exactly. And you've got the right to rest Alexis. But I think perhaps, you know, I'm, I'm jumping perhaps the gun here, but the main problem for me at the moment is a complete lack of width. There's absolutely no width whatsoever in the team. And um, you've got people on the, on, on, on the wings. I daren't call them the wings because they, can't, they tend to go back inside. And you've got poor, poor Olivier Giroud, for example, who is waiting for any kind of service, never gets it. Yeah, you know, that's uh, it's not it's terrible. We but sound a, very downbeat. Come we do on, a bit, guys. but I mean, I, I, I think a in lot the of last our issues. 16, yeah. 
Well, no, look, we'll, get, we'll, get, we'll cheer it up. Okay. But, I mean, I just think that the midfield, or the midfield problem is, is fundamental to the way that uh, the team is playing. I think unless you have a really functioning central midfield, then it's very difficult for the, for the rest of the parts to come together or to connect those parts. So you want the midfield, obviously, to connect to the wide players and the forwards. And, and uh, it, it just doesn't seem as if Arsene Wenger knows quite what his best combination is in there. So we're playing Bournemouth on Sunday... What what could be a better time than to try a, a Jacques Ramsey central midfield? Yeah, I'm all for it. Yeah. I'm all for it because I think I think as you say it, that connectivity is the problem. Mustafi last night he gave the ball away plenty or, or played it out of touch, and I think it's because he hasn't got that option of somebody who wants to come and pick it up from him. So if you put a Jacques in there, he's someone who's very happy to drop deep and do that. Gives you a greater chance of finding Urzel, Iwobi in advanced positions if Iwobi plays, which he probably shouldn't. So, yeah, I think, look, Aaron Ramsey played his best football for Arsenal 2013-14 alongside Mikel Arteta. Jack is the closest allegory I think we've got to Arteta. So I think it's definitely worth a go. It's definitely uh, worth a go. Uh, and it's uh, not to slight Francis Cochrane. And it's, it's missing out as well because one thing which I really love about both Koscielny and Mustafi, they're great at bringing the ball forward. Mm. What you need is a midfielder who is tactically intelligent enough to drop back in the centre-half position. And then you create, which is a bit what... I'm afraid to say, uh, City do, do with Otamendi and, and John Stones. And it creates a lot of problems for the opposition. There doesn't seem to be this tactical intelligence in, in Coquelin, or maybe not the instructions, or whoever is in front of the, of the back four. And um, so, yes, Xhaka, Ramsey, but Bournemouth, uh, not an easy one, I have to say. I'm a little bit uneasy about this one. Yeah? Yeah, I am. I do, I do rate them very highly. They, I mean, they're a good, they're a, a good very team. Good but it, very you know, well organised. Perhaps the, the fact that they'll come and, and try and play football, because I think that's Eddie Howe's philosophy, isn't it? Will suit us a little bit better. Maybe, but I mean, I think they, even though they try and play football, they, Eddie Howe will have watched some videos and will be well aware that if you try and deny space and, and frustrate Arsenal in home matches, that they can quite easily run down a few cul-de-sacs. Mm. I don't think he's going to just ignore that. So I'm in Bournemouth, and then I think the next game we've obviously got Southampton uh, in the EFL Cup. Uh, we've West Ham away, Stoke at home. A couple of difficult games in December, Everton away and City away. But the next three games uh, are ones that you really want us to see uh, to see us take nine points from and sort of get things going again, James. Yeah, I think so. I think that you know Amy's right. It does seem a bit unduly negative, but I think it's that thing of I think a draw. Is in a, a draw in any situation is always kind of the most frustrating result as a fan because you don't get the satisfaction of venting that you do with a defeat. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. difficult to derive that much like excitement from any draw. Uh, if you win a game, euphoria, brilliant. If you lose, you can shout about Aaron Ramsey, great. But <laughs> if you draw, it's kind of like there's something left sort of unfulfilled, which I think explains... You say that, but I remember Glenn Hoddle probably having the biggest orgasm of his life when the... <laughs> The equalised and the what, what, do you, what do you know that we don't, Philip? When he left Spurs. Well, that was one. I was um, yards away. It was pretty <laughs> impressive. <laughs> and and all, they, they celebrated like they'd won, you know, every single trophy. And, oh, did you remember this one? They did the two all? Yeah. Which still give us the title. Yeah. Oh, to reach her, the, the, the fullback pulled his hamstring celebrating us winning the league, didn't he? he Quite amazing. <laughs> well done. Yeah, that was a guy. Career. Yeah, the guy telling Henri, and Henri's going. You, you just watch. Wait till guess the end what? Of the guess what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, they, they sure can pick him. Uh, but uh, 
Uh, while I'm trying to rid myself of the image of Glenn Hoddle's orgasm, uh, <laughs> how do you view these three games, Amy? Like, really important for this team to, to start winning again and maybe just... It's not that the, the, the momentum has been shifted, it's just that we maybe need to, to pick up the pace a little. I think the EFL Cup game is obviously least important and will probably be Arsene's lowest priority. Um, Even though it's Claude Puel and there's this really... I mean, this relationship it's between the, the two. League yeah, Cup. I know, I know. Okay. <laughs> um, Sorry. But I, I, I guess the, you, know, the, you just need a jammy win. It doesn't really matter how it comes. I think, yeah, you, you know, if things are a bit off kilter, the first thing you try and do is stabilise and not get beat, which obviously they're not getting beat at the moment. The second thing you try and do is just get some wins. And then the next thing you do after that is add the quality. Um, it's like stepping stones. And usually this is, you're having this conversation after defeat. So I keep coming back to this. Yeah. But, you know, many's a time that we've gone to a press conference and Arsene Wenger's under pressure because they've lost a big game and everybody's asking the same old questions. And this time they've just they've had some draws um, in difficult games against hard opponents. And I think, you know, I don't expect the Bournemouth game to be fantastic. I think it could be quite a hard watch. But if there's three points at the end of it, job done. Thank you very much. And yeah. then it's just a case of trying to build on from there and try and bring back a bit of that pizzazz, that, a bit of that confidence and energy that the players had. They were just doing everything quicker earlier on in the season. Mm. felt watching the game yesterday in Old Trafford that the kind of sp- the speed volume had just been cranked <laughs> abominably down. And it's a hard thing to suddenly get that click back into a, a faster rhythm again. The, the and once was, they do, I think that the, 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 the quality of passing and the quality of the goal scoring and creating of chances returns. There was one moment yesterday um, when Kieran Gibbs had a throw-in uh, next to the corner flag, so in the PSG half, and he literally stood there for mm. about 10 seconds waiting for anybody to want the ball. I was shouting probably, for it at probably one point. Have <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, go on. And he was yes, absolutely, do something. I also remember another moment when Aaron Ramsey was gesticulating at, at Carl Jenkins and said, go forward. I want to pass the ball forward, please. That's not very good, is it? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not my fault. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, all this negative talk, you know, of yours. Andrew, I've got a, all I want out of these games is I've got a great picture of Arsene Wenger smiling, holding a rugby ball. So after we beat Stoke... It's going everywhere <laughs> on social media. <laughs> <laughs> it's all I care about. <laughs> when is it that the Orcs are coming, then? Um, um, so after West Ham, yeah. Yeah, but we've still, we've still got two, two games left in November to, to, to make this the un-Novemberiest un- November. Okay. Uh, and go through it, hopefully unbeaten, hopefully with some, some wins under our belt. So Bournemouth on Sunday and then Southampton in, in the EFL Cup, which has been quite entertaining. I've, I've quite enjoyed the EFL Cup, looking at some of these the young players we've got coming through, which uh, brings me very nicely to a young player. We had some good news during the week. Uh, Hector, brand new contract. Yeah, everyone, everyone loves Hector, don't they? I mean, you can't, how can you not love that guy? Especially just, Barcelona. Yeah, they can fuck off. Immensely. <laughs> That's another assist. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Uh, but, I mean, fantastic news. And, and like, uh, to see a player... Um, develop so quickly and become so important is, is fantastic. It's, you know, it's not usually a defender who does that either. Yeah, but he, he's no ordinary defender, isn't no. he? No. Um, Can I, I say... Okay, that, that could be like his slogan, couldn't I it? I think we talked... <laughs> the first time we... Hector, no ordinary defender. Yeah. 
The first time we that. saw him was in the League League Cup game, and I think we both thought exactly the same thing about him. He's special. Special, yeah. It looks like Ronnie Cray. He's the real special one. Yeah, yeah. Don't you, he looks like one of the Cray twins to me. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's just like triplets, yeah. The lost Cray brother. I'm petrified of him. There, there is a serious issue, which is that it sends out a blooming great signal to people who think that they can come and snatch whoever they want. Mm. And I think it would have been not that surprising if his head was turned enough by someone who was going to put a lot of money in front of him. Um, and for him to show that commitment is a is a big deal for the club, which is you know, probably probably why they've done quite a lot of publicity about it because they they're trying to show, look, we're not here for you to come and rip us off of our talent when we de- when we develop it. Yeah, and just it's just fantastic to see this guy um, develop into one of the best fullbacks in Europe in such a, a very short space of time. If you remember, I don't think it was his. I think his full debut was away at Dortmund. And that was a uh, difficult night for him, but it was a difficult night for everybody. And uh, I think some players, if they go through an experience like that, you think maybe of uh, Callum Chambers, who had that really difficult game at at Swansea and never seemed to quite recover from it. This was like water off a a duck's back for Hector. He just, that's that, and and just progress and keeps progressing. uh, He's brilliant to watch. Yeah, he is. And I mean, it's a lot of money, but they're talking about 100 grand a week, aren't they? Possibly, but six and a half years as well. You don't often see that. Mm. Uh, But... Yeah, absolutely worth it. And I think the club are making a lot of noise about it. And I think it does send an important message to the fans. But it also sends an important message to other members of the squad. There are other contract renewals going on, you know, that are incredibly important. So showing that we've got that strength to be able to keep our best players, hopefully that message emanates throughout the squad. We all know who I'm talking about, I guess. (laughs) Gabriel. Yeah. (laughs) Get that deal done for Gabriel, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, no, I mean, they're, they're two pressing issues as well, aren't they? Mesut Ozil and, and uh, Alexis Sanchez. Um, how confident should we be? Uh, Mesut's bought a new house, hasn't he, in Highgate somewhere? So chances are he's putting down some roots for a couple of years. I mean, I think the thing about Mesut Ozil, if you watch him and you look at his body language, he just looks like a different human being to the guy who turned up a few years ago kind of kicked out of Real Madrid when maybe he wasn't expecting it. Um, took him a little while to get his head around that, which is understandable, actually. Um, and has really evolved as, not particularly as a footballer, but in terms of his own maturity. I mean, he has evolved as a footballer in that he's much more muscular now, much more powerful now. Um, this season, at the beginning of the season, the, the forward runs and the, the, you know, the goals has been a superb addition, something that Arsene Wenger has been trying to encourage out of him for a while um so he he is a sort of different player but more than that i think he's a kind of different bloke and he seems to be very happy here and a happy measure has got to be a good thing and i think that means the signs are quite encouraging as regards a, a contract renewal i i think that i'd be i kind of half expect that one to get over the line the alexis sanchez one i think is a bit more of a muddy water and i don't know which way that's going to go complicated by the player or people around him or is he just that is he just that kind of a guy who will say look i'll do x amount of time here x amount of time here and i'm happy to move on i mean i I don't think he's got his roots and enjoy you know in the set he's so he's so much more just about the football Mm. you know from what i hear he turns up at he runs into the training ground you know sprints around (laughs) non-stop does 
press you know, ups. does press ups, press ups while someone's doing a team talk. You know, gets up, does a does a few more laps That's around true. the pitch. That is true. I've seen it. <laughs> Uh, you know, and, and runs off when he's finished, you know. Uh, I mean, the, it, it is extraordinary. <laughs> he, he, I, honestly, when I watch him... Then I, he gets home, plays <laughs> a bit of football with the dogs, <laughs> yeah. run around the garden, okay. plays, throws something for the dogs to fetch, press-ups, press-ups. Aren't the dogs trying to He goes to his piano lesson afterwards, doesn't he? A bit of light relief. Absolutely. Phil Collins, I think. Is, is, uh, <laughs> oh, for goodness uh, sake. Sorry. Uh, lowering the tone, Amy. <laughs> But but I just uh, yeah I think he's he's so much more he just he's, he he just wants to come in and play and that's it so I think the kind of bigger picture is slightly different compared to Meza Erdo and I, I in a lot of these cases you're a bit at the mercy of the agent as well and if the agent wants to move you on then it can just become more difficult all round. But you'd have to think which kind of club Alexis would go to and in which he would have the same status, which is basically. He's in the starting lineup. He's an absolute hero for for all Gunners. In which other club could he get the same context? You mm. know, um, not not many in Europe could offer him that, and the same wages as well. Um, PSG would be one. Ooh, yeah, they've got some money, loads of money. Yeah, hmm. plenty of money. Yeah. Even more than you think. Even more. And I, I think they've got a lot. <laughs> no, 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 but they've got more than that. Oh, shit. That's, yeah. that is that's really serious stuff. Serious shit. Okay, because I can think so, of really big numbers. Yeah. Like, well, I do zero. Plus one. Yeah, plus one. Yeah. But who, which clubs could actually afford him? Yeah. Very few. He's not going to go back to Barcelona, eh? No, no he's, of course he, not. I don't think he's likely to go to Manchester City either with, with Pat there. Why not? Uh, Alexis. I don't know. I, 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 my impression was it didn't didn't quite click for him under Pep at Barca as it has at Arsenal. I think there were stories about him being not following Pep's sort of plan about where he had to play, wasn't it? I think that was the thing with him at Barca. Um, he had a great time in Serie A. Juventus were interested last summer by all accounts. Benabache. Yeah. Oh, for goodness. A rogue sake. shout from the ground. <laughs> <laughs> What, one Fenerbahce fan who snuck in. <laughs> he's really upset he's come to the wrong podcast. Because <laughs> that Fenerbahce one is fucking funny as well, let me tell you. Funnier. Oh, man. <laughs> so you think, you think he might go, like if Manchester City came calling, he'd go to, you know? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think Arsenal are going to do everything they can. But where some clubs will keep going financially and push themselves to perhaps places they don't want to go we all would expect Arsenal to reach a point and then say no more. So I think it's going to be a question of whether it comes down to a financial decision or not. And at what point the wrangling gets to a point where one of them says, yeah, okay, or "Mm, no thanks. And I think that's an ongoing situation. Right. Well, that's a cheery way to end the first part (laughs) of the show. (laughs) Uh, So I think we'll do that. Um, Unless anybody has anything else they want to talk about in this part, James? Anything no, no, nothing particularly. I think we've covered a lot of it. Yeah. I mean, we're going to do questions now, so if there is anything we haven't covered, um, by all means, let us know in the next part. Yeah, so we're going to take uh, 15 minutes. You guys get a drink at the bar, and we'll be back with part two right after this. Bye. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. 
so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Where did Philippe go? He went to the bar, actually, so I reckon we might be waiting two minutes still. All right. In the meantime, you can just sit Six here and stare Six girls, Philippe, please. <laughs> Six semi girls. Each. All right. Typical. Oh, he's here. Yeah. People want to see our legs. It's, yeah. Turned out a lot of people have paid their money to see our legs and they were very upset. Yes. So look, um, yeah. Yeah? Legs. legs. So welcome back. This is uh, part two. And uh, normally in part two on the, uh, the Arscast Extra, we, we take questions that people send to us on Twitter. But uh, that would be really uh, difficult to work. Just yeah. checking our Twitter here. It would be quite rude as well, I think. I think so. Just checking. It would be worse than the table. Yeah. Just looking down at that. <laughs> So what we're going to do is uh, James is going to uh, roam around as best he can with the microphone. What could go wrong, guys? <laughs> I'm going to clamber among you. <laughs> Should be fine. Oh, no, we'll, we'll, we'll go into the crowd rather than bring people on stage. I oh, think. yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah. I think that's, yeah. that's better. The stage is sacrosanct. You know, that's it. For the, for the talent. <laughs> <laughs> when do they arrive? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> us. And us. So... <laughs> So will we, uh, will we get that part going? Yeah, let's do it. I'll, let's I'll, do I'll it. go down. I'll find out. If you do have a question, Stick. the most sensible thing is to raise your hand, and I'll endeavour to find you. Here we go. Oh, what? And this is an easy one. So here we go. So if you tell us your name... Low-hanging uh, fruit. And, you, and your question. That's exactly it, yes. There we go. It's a simple formula, but it's amazing how long it's taken me to come to grips with it. Okay, here we go. Uh, my name's Dan. Hi, Dan. Uh, uh, hi. Um... <laughs> Firstly, I just I just want to I just want to quickly say I don't want to get too sentimental here, but Andrew, thank you so much. Uh, I love what you do. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, you're you're a part of my daily life, and uh, I think it's fantastic. And obviously, James and yeah, fuck off, mate. <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen. Hey, before you, know you I mean? ask, before you ask a question. Oh, he does it every day. Fuck hey, off, James. James, <laughs> sick of it. Before you ask a question, sir. Uh, may, I, may I, because this guy is far too shy, aren't you? Uh, no, he's not. That <laughs> this podcast, the Arscast, is up for the FSF Awards. Oh, yeah. So, I'm going to do like Obama said, don't clap, vote! Yeah. <laughs> 
thank you. Yeah, you can check it on the we'll F- FSF website. So all, all votes greatly appreciated. Cool. Right. Right. Question then. Let's have it. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, okay. I'll, I'll ask the question now. Okay. It's simple. Uh, camp A, Camp B. Okay. So Camp A is this. Okay. Here we are, November. The form's going. Very important player is out potentially for this season because we know Arsenal. Like Carzola's tenant could be completely snapped. We just sure. don't know. Right? Are you Camp A, meaning it's dire, like it's probably going to end up being fourth place and knocked out Champions League, you know? Or is it Camp B, which where I am, by the way, is that there's a resilience about the team, and I really think that potentially we're going to win the title this year, and we're going to pick up steam. And that old Trevor result for me was huge. To hear Phil Jones say it felt like we lost 5-0 was awesome. And I really think that there's something building here. And when Cazola comes back, let's please hope he does, um, we're going to catch fire again. And right. we're going to go on to win. So um, camp A, Camp B, from all five. Okay, so cool. camp, camp B is the positive camp. And Camp A is like A for asshole camp. No, I don't know. Um, I am camp a, B for brilliant. Yes. I am a little more Camp B than I am Camp A. I mean, I still have concerns about some of the performances, but I think... There have been a lot of encouraging signs this season. Um, I don't, you know, uh, an 18-game unbeaten run. It's not an easy thing to do, even if you're drawing games that you would prefer to pick up points in. There's, there's, uh, as much as winning is a habit, not losing can become a bit of a habit as well. So I think, uh, I think that's a, a very encouraging thing. I j- just have a little worry about injuries and maybe not having quite as much depth as as we thought. And I think the midfield thing causes me some trouble. Because uh, until such time as we can really get that midfield functioning, I don't think we're going to play our best football. But I, I'm a lot more encouraged than I have been over the last uh, number of years, that's for sure. I'd say can be myself as well. Um, even though I'm a little bit torn between, it's probably Amy's as well, between um, the person who's supposed to be neutral and fair and so forth, who would say, given the competition, given the fact that Chelsea look really, really good, I'm afraid. Uh, the fact that City will be very good despite the fact that Liverpool still, you know. So I would be campaigned like that, but I, I still think it's, it's possible. It's possible. Uh, again, it's about managing the, the, the moments which are not so good, which is right now. And so far, you know, so not so, not so bad. I um, I've tried to make a career of sitting on the fence, so uh, <laughs> this is tricky. It's pretty um, uncomfortable, isn't it? It is comfortable. I, I would veer slightly more towards Camp B, although I'm quite interested by your definitions, because in Camp A, you said, which was going to be somewhat disastrous, finishing in the top four and getting knocked out of the Champions League. But, you know, you can still do quite well in other things, even if those things happen. Um, I don't think that the two things are completely mutually exclusive. Um, but yeah, I, I think that for me, the, what Arsenal need to do somewhere along the line to make sure that Camp B really has momentum is, is sort of, pardon my language, but win a fuck-off game, you know? Yeah. A, a bit, you know, if that Man United away game, Arsenal show up with a little bit more personality, a little bit more ambition and come away with three points and everybody sort of takes notice and there's a, a trickle effect in terms of confidence and attitude that comes from something like that. I think somewhere in the next little period of time, Arsenal need... A, a, the, 
although they managed it a bit at home against Chelsea, that was it. But something perhaps on the road with a similar stature, something that gives them that belief to go anywhere and take it to whoever, I think would make the difference. Yeah. Can, I, can I ask you, when is the last time you remember one of those fuck-off performances? Man United FA Cup. Yeah, Man United FA Cup. So maybe. Cup. Yeah. Danny Welbeck. Danny Welbeck. That was a f- absolutely. That how, was how are you? How do you see it, Stuart? Absolutely, so negative you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> no, B definitely. Because yeah. I think we're better second half of the season anyway. Yeah. And and Danny Welbeck will be back. He's told me himself. I think he tried to get himself on the bench uh, yesterday. He told me the other day. <laughs> but def- I'm always positive. Always positive. But so. and, and you obviously see things at uh, closer hand than, than than we would. I mean, is the spirit within the group, is it, is it positive? It feels like it's positive this season. It, for, for me, it's, I'm not saying it's the best team, but it's the best uh, atmosphere amongst the squad since the 2003-04 group. You know, it's a real, mm. there's a great relationship between all the squad. I think they all get on very well. They fight for each other. But there's that extra step, isn't there? That they've got to actually, as mm. you said, they've got to win one of those massive games. But I think they thought, you know, I was there the other day, when, oh, the day after Hector signed his new contract, sitting in reception working, and as he was wandering around, all the players came and hugged him, said congratulations, so that doesn't happen anywhere else, and it happens at Arsenal. Yeah. So, uh, cool. I think it's a great atmosphere. For me, yeah. to work with these guys, you know, I've seen the, the crap times with players who are, don't fit within the squad, mm. but this is a good squad. Nursery. <coughs> who? Bar- <laughs> Eddie Barndor. <laughs> So I'm positive. Dumbledore. As long as you finish above Spurs and we don't play on Thursday nights, I'll be very happy. Yeah. Thursday nights in front of no people at Wembley. (laughs) (laughs) And the wonderful transport links from there to home. (laughs) James, shall we have another one? Yeah. By the way, if anyone gave a shit, us can't be. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Andrew. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. I think I've been relegated, haven't I? Yeah. I'm in the crowd, no one cares. I've got, oh, I've got a hand up can over get, here. I'm coming James, in. can you I get had, the beers in? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> OK, I'm coming in. I had a poll, but I've lost it. Right, here we go. Hello, mate. Um, my name's Dan. I was wondering, we brushed on it briefly earlier on, but do you think it's ever going to be possible for a team in the Premier League to do the double, i.e. win the Premier League and potentially the Champions League. I don't think it's ever really going to be compatible again. You look at Leicester, no European football. Liverpool came within a Gerrard slip without having European football of winning the league. Chelsea done really well in the league with no European football. We're obviously very consistent in Europe. Can we do both? Can any team do both? But especially, obviously, us. What do you reckon? I think any team can. I'm not necessarily saying that Arsenal are in the position to do that at the minute. But it was, there was a period where it was actually very common, where for a number of years in a row, the team that won the Champions League also won their domestic league. Bayern have done it a lot. Barcelona have done it a lot. Inter Milan did it. Um, it was actually I, I almost guess. more common than not for a period to win both. Um, Porto. Yeah, yep. but uh, it's been a while since an English team has done it. But, so. I mean, is, is, is the Premier League, I think maybe what Dan's trying to say, Premier League is perhaps a little bit more competitive these days, that there are, if you look at the table, five or six teams uh, potentially that could win the title, whereas 
Bayern are going to win it in Germany. Uh, Spain has been a two-horse race for a long time. You know, Germany they're not necessarily, the season. but they're not as competitive leagues as, as the Premier League, perhaps. I would, t- I would beg to differ. I think it's changed. Uh, there's something I would have said a, a couple of years ago. I think in Spain we're seeing at the moment actually five, six teams which are definitely um, very, very competitive. In Germany, it's a very strange season. Because you've got Offenheim there, you've got South, um, uh, Leipzig there, you've got uh, uh, Dortmund is coming back, Bayern is not going too well. What's different is the, um, the sheer intensity, the constant, it's the constancy of, of every weekend. It's the intensity of it and, and the pressure, the, the psycholo- psychological pressure that is put on the players and, and the clubs. To be honest, yes, I'm, I'm wondering when we're going to see um, a team that's going to be able to win both the league and the Champions League in the same year again. And um, for Arsenal, um, my gosh, there's still a long way to go for that. Yeah. James, what do you think about this? I could imagine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, Andrew. Where that's all right. Uh, I, I think... Um, I think it's really difficult, actually. I think that if you look at it, you think about when Chelsea went on to win the Champions League, things like that, their league campaign was sort of dead by then, wasn't it? You know, yeah. and, uh, I think even Atleti, you know, they got to the final, but they sort of, by that point, were probably not quite in the league race. I think, yeah, I think for Arsenal to get to the Champions League final, they probably would end up having to sacrifice something in the Premier League. So I think, you know, doing that as a double... I mean, we, we couldn't do it in 2004, could we? When we had probably the best team in Europe. So. Too soon, too soon. Yeah, <laughs> but that was, the, that, was, that was the game that I've always wanted to forget and, and, and is imprinted in my memory, which is the return leg of the semi-final... Oh, please, the quarter-final against... Sorry, I'm going to weep. <laughs> and Makelele shooting at goal and, and oh, no. They, they should have won it that year, but... Um, but honestly, I mean... Don't you have the feeling, and I'm asking you, James. Um, you don't have to patronise me, guys. I'm all right. <laughs> I like him with my people. I'm fine. No, but honestly, if you see, uh, if, you, if you watch, for example, um, Atletico or Barcelona or Juve mm. uh, or Borussia Dortmund, do you genuinely think Arsenal is that kind of class at the moment? No, I guess no. I don't have any conviction that they are. I think, like Amy says, I think you require some of those big fuck-off results to really give you that belief. And to be honest, I think Chelsea really did do that for a time. You know, the, the mood among the fans was so so great at that point. But those last th- these last three games were a chance for us to get that kind of result. And having not done so, it you know has slightly shaken that that faith. So no, I, I don't. You know, we're talking about the draw here and there, but my realistic aspirations for the Champions League probably don't extend as far as winning it. I think it's a big ask. I've got another question for James. Go um, on. Although winning both is obviously, you know, this big aspiration. If, well, in fact, it's a question for anyone, really. Um, I, if, I mean, I think it should if be you could, me, if, you, if you could today be offered this season, you're going to win the Champions League or the Premier League. It's interesting Ooh. to get that reaction because I think if you are... Champions League, Champions League, if only because that would piss Piers Morgan more. <laughs> he would be so pissed off, that dick, that it would give me such great satisfaction. Take it, put it up your whatever. Jaxi, I believe, is the word, Piers. We've won the Champions League. With this manager, you think is. Uh, what does he think? I mean, he's like. 
I don't know. I don't know how that cunt I... thinks at all. <laughs> I'm very proud. He's called me a, a smug clown on Twitter recently. I, I would. I, I called would him a that. fascist. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, Champions League, I mean, to be I honest, do, if you look, you, you have to think Arsenal, you've got to think Arsenal as well. Uh, For him, at this stage of his, of his life and his career, to win the Champions League with Arsenal, I mean, who could be, you know... Throw it out there. Bad? So, who, uh, so shouts League. for uh, Premier League? Oh, well, let me mix that a line up, James. <laughs> right. Oh, right, right, let's clarify. Let's okay. clarify, you do it. Uh, Champions League? <laughs> Premier League? We're winning the Champions League. Come on! <laughs> Shall we do another question? Yeah, let's do another question. Um, Who would I'm you most like to see relegated, Chelsea or Tottenham? <laughs> That's really tough. Sorry. Okay. Right, I've made it. I've made it. You're going to have to lean into the mic for me a bit, mate. Here we go. Uh, hey, Simon here. Um, I just wanted to ask if, hypothetically, everyone was fit and... Welbeck was raring to go and Cazorla's doing keepy-ups for a week. Uh, who, who would be your ideal starting eleven, and and who would be the people you bring on between the 64th and 77th minute? <laughs> <laughs> Jack Wilshire. <laughs> I can't, I can't. I can't let it go. Uh, yeah, difficult one for you, Stuart, obviously. Um, who, okay, I guess Czech, Bellerin if everyone's fit I'm going to give me some murder sacker because I love the BFG <laughs> sorry, I think, you know clever player, doesn't have any pace to lose, even if he's getting a bit older, and I speak as the voice of experience there as a footballer uh, Koscielny, Monreal uh, Cazorla <laughs> this is this is where it gets a bit tricky. Andrew, that's still a better back four than the back four that got to the Champions League final, remember? A buoy, Senderos. Oh, yeah. So they got us to the Champions League final. Yeah. Should have played, probably. Without conceding a goal. Exactly. In, absolutely. With a buoy in the team. Uh, <laughs> Amazing. Miracles do happen. Miracles do. Um, Jesus, I don't know. Xhaka, just because he's new and I love him a bit. Uh, Ozil. Uh, with everyone fit, uh, I kind of like Welbeck on the left. I, I like a bit of that. Alexis. And then maybe Alex Awobi, I think. That's 13 players. 13? <laughs> <laughs> That's how we're going to win it. <laughs> That's what Stuart Pierce did one day. He did. He picked his first team with no goalkeeper. That's right. Yeah. I, think it was his, I think his wife said, You've picked, you haven't picked a goalkeeper, Stuart. <laughs> It's such, a, it's such a difficult question, I think, because um, there are so many combinations that, that might work. So, uh, James, let's do another one. Another question. Okay. Um, bah, 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 bah. Um, oh, sorry. I've hurt someone else, but not myself. Hey, guys. I am going to come out the other side. Don't worry. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Hello, it's uh, Chris here. Um, it's the worst kept secret in the world that the uh, contract for Wenger is waiting to be signed. A, do you think he should sign it? B, should he have the right to decide when he should go? And C, who should replace him? Oh, blimey. All the easy ones. <laughs> <laughs> Thomas, <Sorry. Thanks>. uh, 
Um, it's such, it's, unless there's like really somebody better out there, then why wouldn't he stay? Um, I'm not necessarily convinced he will. I just, good feeling, I just think maybe he won't. Um, but I, it all boils down to if you can source somebody who's better at the job than he is, if you can't do that, then I don't really see any other option than for, for him to stay. Um, as for if he decides when he should go, I think it's a position of almost unique power in, in football, really, because he's been at the club so long. He's just, he's just such a part of, not part of the furniture, that makes it sound wrong, but he's just so integral into the way the club operates and everything that it does. So um, any manager, I guess, has the right to decide if he wants to carry on a job or not. To, I mean, to, to, if you want to leave, mm. you have that right as a manager to say you want yeah, to, you to, want to, to leave. Yes, absolutely. To stay. It's not what Piers Morgan says. <laughs> but it's you know, Arsenas talked about uh, having 600 people to look after, which is I've never heard a manager. That's me. <laughs> does it very well. I'm sure he does. Um, but there is one moment where you have obviously, and he's coming to that stage where you've got to think about your succession, so you don't have. Uh, at Arsenal, what happened in clubs like Nottingham Forest, when Cloughy Go went, mm. uh, at Manchester United, when Ferguson left, and so forth. When, when somebody was uh, at Tottenham, when Nicholson left, and any club, or at Wolves, uh, as well, uh, when Stan Cullis left, every club where a manager has been placed for more than 10 years has come through this really difficult period of transition. And I think it's at the back of all our minds, and probably at the back of Arsenal's mind as well, how, how are you going to uh, manage that? Uh, there aren't an awful lot of obvious candidates. There, there, might, there might be one. He's a gooner. There might be one soon. If, um, if and by Bayern, the way, it might if, not if show Bayern, up on the podcast. If so Bayern lose to uh, Bayern someone... Leverkusen, Sorry, if Bayern lose to Bayern Leverkusen, there might, be, uh, there might be some changes in Bavaria. I don't know. What, what on earth are you talking about, James? <laughs> what on earth is that? <laughs> don't worry, mate. Carry on. <laughs> okay. Never fucking mind. Um, <laughs> so, if Ancelotti were um, available, which it might be not too long, which is quite mm. extraordinary, uh, the only one I can think of is Thomas Tuchel. Uh, that's the only one I can think of at the moment, who is um, a coach who would um, fit the ethos of the club and the style of play. Mm. But that's one, and I can't think of many others. Amy? I kind of think the question's slightly academic because I think he's going to sign a new contract. I think it's something that the board want him to do, something that he wants to do. Um, and unless things go spectacularly badly over the next few months, I find it difficult to see a situation where it's even much up for discussion. Mm. Um, you know, the fans will have their view on on whether or not that's the right thing to do. But I think within the club, they feel very strong and very committed to what they're doing with the man they've got in charge until he decides he doesn't want to do it anymore. And looking at Arsene Wenger for most of this season, he's been in a better mood and he's looked younger. Um, for like, He really does look quite rejuvenated and his humour is right back to its top level. And he just seems to be enjoying the job a heck of a lot more than he was in 
some of the recent years when mm. the pressure is, and the, the division in the fan base has become quite intense. Mm. And that, to me, suggests that I think he knows what he's going to do. So the debate about who follows him and when or when he retires, I think, is for another day. James, what are your thoughts? I think he'll stay, yeah. I think he'll sign a new contract. I don't know if it'll be... I wonder if it'll be two years this time rather than three. I mean, that's just my gut instinct. They might not be quite as long. Um, and I think that when you ask to name a successor, it's difficult. The fact there's not an obvious candidate, took is a, a good shout, but beyond that, I mean, Coyle getting a shout out. <laughs> Sorry, can we have that guy removed? Bruce Rio. <laughs> um, <I laughs> yeah, Bruce Rio. Brendan? I, I, the fact that Brendan, wow, rehabilitating up in Scotland. I, the fact there's not an obvious choice means that we should probably keep keep Arsene in and he's doing a good job at the moment the fact that we're even having the conversation and that the tension in the room hasn't you know risen to people scrapping with each other suggests that it, it might be a bit more amenable to, to an extension that's right. been. okay well that's that one that's that one alright you're coming around the other side I'm going to move I'm going to move let's have some hands uh, okay front row cool here we go Hi, this is a question for Stuart. Uh, my name's Alex. And what's the weirdest photo shoot you've had to do for Arsenal? <laughs> not, not necessarily the worst, just the weirdest. The weirdest. Oh, I did one with, uh, I think, the 30 years of the community department, and they said to me, uh, come up with something that goes you know, sort of timely. So, so let's get Emmanuel Abui in a great big Afro wig with a... <laughs> And Nicholas Bentner with a, like a, you know, you might have seen the pictures. But other than that, I did, I had, I had two hours with Emmanuel Adibayor for the Arsenal magazine. I said, can you bring some, a couple of changes of clothes in? Clothes in, and he brought in his whole wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> I spent, I spent four hours. See, Adi, yeah, that looks great. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Must have done 30 changes of clothes. Hats. Stuart, how do I look? Yeah, you look great, Eddie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Pretty weird. Oh, no, and uh, I went to Emmanuel Bowie's house. <laughs> that's, that's a great start to any story. Why is everybody laughing? Which was... Stop uh, there, Stuart, it can't get any better. Which is priceless. He, t- he turned... <laughs> The door, was wide, the door was wide open and he turned up in a full sort of Indian headdress. <laughs> and I said, are you all right? He said, yeah, yeah, I'm just on my computer. Don't, don't. <laughs> he said to me, don't look at this screen. <laughs> I'm, so just, very, I'm very... just chatting to an intimate friend <laughs> over the internet. Hiawatha. <laughs> and then we had the sort of afternoon running around the house with his kids, watching him eat from a massive, just a bowl, scooping it into his mouth. But lovely guy, though. Right. Lovely guy. <laughs> just a very, very stuck in the back of my mind. Don't look at the screen. <laughs> it's like what plans how to play as a fullback. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah right. a few weird ones over the years and some good ones. Great. That's fine. <laughs> Should we have another, another question? Um, come back a bit further. Here we go. This guy on the end, he's got a good seat. Right, here we go, mate. Hello, uh, my name's Ian. And my question is, out of every Arsenal goal that you've seen, whether live or on TV, which one would you have liked to have scored? So not, your, not necessarily your favourite goal, but which one would you like to score? 
Right. Mickey Thomas, 1989. Exactly, Amplified. Will. That's an easy one. That's an easy one. I used to, like as a kid, uh, after the 1979 FA Cup final, I would recreate the goals up and down the, the hallway in the house with a football. And I would like pretend to cross the ball and slide in like Alan Sunderland and drove my mother mad. <laughs> Stop kicking the ball indoors. Uh, but I didn't. So, yeah, that one. Alan Sunderland, 1979, I think would be uh, Mine, amazing. I think Liam Brady's cross, I think, for that. And then probably... Ricks. Top, sorry, Ricks. Uh, Dennis's Newcastle. Only because I got a, quite a decent picture of it. But, uh, <laughs> available Arsenal picks. <laughs> framed, framed versions. I, I have to say... Thierry at the Bernabeu, mm. especially from the press box, it was fantastic because you know the journalists there, they jump up and down saying Vamos Real or whatever. And so we were all, all, you know, the English guys, so to speak, keeping very quiet. But when this one went in, we went absolutely bonkers. And we turned around and went. <laughs> and it was magnificent. The universal language of the middle finger. Universal. <laughs> what about Carnu's away at no away at Spurs when he flicked the ball over, flicked the ball over his head. Luke, Luke, Luke Young. Yeah, and it was about five minutes ago, and we changed around so we kicked the other way. Do you remember we didn't kick towards our fans in the second half? So I thought, get out the photographer's pit, run to the other end in front of our fans, get there before the end of the game. So. Carnu had just scored. I picked my camera bags up. I looked up and saw thousands of people going, that's a fucking Arsenal photographer. <laughs> just got abuse. <laughs> I walked around the side of the pitch all the way. You, you... <laughs> all the way. It was worth it, though. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> James... Arshavin against uh, Barcelona. That was oh. special. Mm. James, which, which goal out of all the Arsenal goals do you think would fit your footballing style the best? <laughs> Probably the one PSG gave us last night. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, when I did play football of a fashion, uh, I played at left-back, and my brother, as I've mentioned on the show, is a Chelsea fan. So it would be remiss... Thank you, Boost, my brother. Always good to hear. Uh, I, it would be remiss of me not to mention Nigel Winterburn's goal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Although Silvino didn't score a bad one either against Chelsea. Yeah. So, yeah, one of those for me. All right. Classic oh, left yeah, I've got a good one. So, Thierry's against Spurs when he ran the full length of the pitch. The, uh, our ground staff at Highbury used to sit behind the Tottenham bench. And as Thierry got the ball, one of the, one of the coaches said, keep on his left, keep on his left, he's shit on his left. And he <laughs> smashed it in with his left. And our, and our ground staff are patting him on the, patting him on the head. <laughs> Terrible on his left, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I missed that. It sounded good. Um, another question? Yes, let's. All right, here we go. Oh, uh, do you want to ask your question, mate? Come on, then. Yeah. My name's George. I'm 74 years of age. I've been an Arsenal supporter since I've been 10. And we're... <laughs> and I've got... And I've got... We are, we're basically lacking leadership on the field. And we want a Vieira, someone like that, 
We want someone to say, come on, boys, fucking do it. <laughs> Thanks, George. I love that. <laughs> I'm not sure that technically it was a question, but... <laughs> I really, I mean, what do you think, guys? Do you think like, this is it's something that's been aimed at a lot of Arsenal sides? Are um, we lacking a leader? Should never have sold Armory Bischoff. I think we've got, <laughs> we've got, I think we've got more this season than we've had for a while, as a matter of fact. Mm. I think Peter Cech is a genuine leader. I think Laurent Cossierny has grown into a leader as well. I think Alexis Sanchez, in his own funny, rabbity way, is a leader too. Um, no, there, I think there are actually. You know this thing that Arsene used to say about, oh, uh, this whole thing about leaders, you know, I don't believe in that, we, we need to have 11 leaders on the pitch, which was bullshit, let's face it. Uh, now we do have, I think, a few players who are genuine leaders, who have grown into it. And certainly the first two, I mean, Czech and, and Kosciania, for me, I would definitely put in that category. I, I think the thing about people like uh, Tony Adams and Patrick Vieira, the reason they stand out is because they're so rare. Those characters are, you know, if, if you could have a Tony Adams in your team tomorrow, you, of course you would, but you don't get them very often, you know. So that's, that's a difficult thing, um, and it's difficult for some players to sort of assume that mantle. But I, I tend to agree with Philippe that there's a bit more about this team, and there's a bit more, a bit more character, a bit more experience. And I think Arsene Wenger has said a number of times this season that there's more maturity, and I think that, that plays into it as well. You know, it's the first time, I think, there's... there's um Hold on, hold on. Guys, there's a study center, whatever you would call it, called Observatoire du Football, which is based in Neuchâtel. They've recently done a study on the age of the starting 11s of teams throughout Europe. And for the first time, for I think 10 years, Arsenal is not in the top 50. Arsenal has actually got an old team, or much more experienced team, that used to be the case. It's a complete change. It's as old a team as the one which won the, the league in 2003-2004. So uh, there, there, there is a big change. And also, I would ask, that's a question I would ask. Talk about leaders. Name me a few in Europe at the moment, a few players that you would definitely single out as true leaders of their team. And you'll think, think about it. It's not that easy to identify them. Amy, any thoughts on that? I need a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, all right, James, well then... Or cheating looking on Google. Yeah. Uh, all right. Is there another question? In? Yes, let's. Okay. Uh, uh, this guy stood up. Here we go. All right, my name's Rob. Wenger uh, underscore portions on Twitter. I've got two questions. The first Handy one... plug for your own Twitter account there, folks. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty much dormant anyway. Uh, two questions, and I hate to bring it up now, but the way we've been playing, if the transfer window was to open... What position would you strengthen? Because I do believe that it's probably the deepest squad that we've had. But personally, I, I still think that we lack something out wide. And the second question, uh, just to say, to sort of counter Monsieur Eclair's uh, um, theory about November, do you think it directly correlates to how well James has been in November every single year since his birth? <laughs> and should he start to self-harm? <laughs> There, there definitely is a direct correlation between how well Arsenal play and how injured James is. I think that's irrefutable at this I know. point. I, and you're I can only apologise for health. being in good health. <laughs> um, and the first question, what would I buy if the transfer window striker? 
If I could get like the striker, I that's where I'd spend the money. I'd just buy Griezmann. But I have to stop going. It's gonna cost you. It's gonna cost you. No, I would agree, Griezmann. But um, again, who is available? Well, we're living in fantasy world here. We don't have to think about who's available. I think I think this is a, a problem at the moment at at right back uh, because there is no genuine cover for Bellerin. Mm. And then, sorry to say for Carl Jenkinson. No, I mean, come on, come on. No, okay, you know, I love the guy and so forth. Nice story. He did very well when he when he went to West Ham. He's he's not. It depends. I mean, if you want um, in a club which is going to. Have, as an objective mid-table, you'll be fine. He's not quite up to the level, I'm afraid. So that would be another But position. isn't isn't that the, the the big problem when you have a player as good as Bellerin, who's going to be uh, first choice, hopefully for years to come, is that you can't, you, you can't have another player who's even nearly as good sitting on the bench or not getting in the squad. Well, there's week. one who is not getting in the squad at the moment. It's Mathieu Debuchy. Mm. Yeah. Well, you know, who was, uh, you know, he was very close to being actually selected for, for the World Cup. and Well, he was for the World Cup, but for the Euro as well. Mm. And uh, if he had been playing, he would have been selected. And uh, at the moment, he's frozen out. Yeah. Mares. No. No. <laughs> Jamie Vardy, anyone? <laughs> <laughs> that was the best piece of business of the summer, wasn't it? Yeah. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks to Jamie and Edinson for doing their thing. James, who, who would you, where would you buy? Oh, I mean, uh, yeah, it's difficult to argue with the Griezmann suggestion, isn't it? Yeah. That would be lovely. Yeah. Um, but it, it is hard to imagine it coming off. I mean, everyone, if he, if he was available, yeah. everyone would in, who would want it, wouldn't they? All right. Shall we do I, another I personally one? would go for Danny Welbeck. The sooner he comes back, the better. Mm. <laughs> Higuain, the one that got away, says the man on his way to the toilet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's lovely, Danny. Okay, have we got time for more? Yeah, we've got time for a okay, few more. Okay, cool. Um, there aren't enough hands. Here's a hand. Here we go. Hi, uh, I'm Dan as well. I think I'm the third Dan to ask a question. Um, my question's around Aaron Ramsey. Um, <laughs> there was... There was a moment yesterday where I think Ozil had it in our half near the touchline and he turned out of his man, passed it to Ramsey and Ramsey just looked around, passed it straight back. I think 30,000 people stood up and started berating him for it. Why, why does he get picked every single time he's fit? Why? Um, obviously, Arsene Wenger thinks he's a really excellent player. That's why he gets picked. I think he is uh, an excellent player as well. Uh, we discussed his... Thank you. Uh, <laughs> we, you know, we discussed his oh, role well, in the Mrs. team. This is Ramsey, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I think something um, we, we spoke about maybe before the game, when you talk about him playing a pass backwards, is that maybe there wasn't anything on ahead of him. Um, I think he's... Uh, I think he's a, a pretty positive footballer. He looks like he always wants to make something happen. So 
I don't think it's his natural inclination to go backwards. He's, um, he's not one of these players who will give you the pass through the lines. That's not his style at all. What he will do, the runs will be through the lines, not the passes. He's not one of those. Ozil will do that, like the pass for Sanchez on the penalty. You will never see Ramsey do something, something like that. The problem is at the moment, he's an, he's an excellent player. He's shown it so many times, but he doesn't have a position in this team. And I, I, I can't think of one, to be honest, unless you have to unseat one of the regulars. Uh, yeah. I, I, I agree with Philippe, and it's something when you think about that famous picture, which you probably took, of the young British corps that all signed their new c contracts at the same time, which was Jack. Uh, Jenkinson... Ramsey, Gibbs, Oxlade-Chamberlain, uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain, and I'd probably include Theo Walcott in. No, that no, not Theo. No, no, but I mean, just yeah. I'm talking about the sort of young British core that there was a period where Arsene Wenger decided that building on that was what he wanted to do, and something seems to be a problem for quite a lot of those players, which is actually defining a position has been really hard for them. When you look at Oxlade-Chamberlain, there is clearly something there. There is clearly talent there, but. Where exactly is he supposed to play? And I think he's played in so many positions over the years. Theo Walcott, obviously, is he a striker? Is he a winger? It hasn't been that easy in many ways for him to nail down that position where he's supposed to play. And Aaron Ramsey, who we harken back to the Euros and how phenomenal he was for Wales playing as a, a free number 10 with no uh, obligation to do anything other than whatever he fancied. He's not got that luxury for Arsenal. Um, and I just... I think it's, a, it's something that's unfortunate that it seems to be a problem that afflicts quite a lot of these guys where nailing down a set position just hasn't really happened and I don't think that's necessarily helped their development. A, a, a short tactical point is when you, when you use a 4-2-3-1 as, as Arsene has been doing for so, so long, it's actually a system which is far less flexible than you would think. Uh, and you, you do have to have this double pivot. Um, the deep-lying playmaker, the guy who is... Uh, doing the dirty work in front of the back four. Uh, the uh, white guys were supposed to uh, also be kind of... Um, what, I can't remember when Nasri were telling me that how Wenger described the post, but as being uh, external playmakers or something like that. It is actually a far more rigid system than you think. And a player like, like Ramsey doesn't flourish in this type of rigid situation. And what I would be very interested to see is perhaps Arsene experimenting with different formations... Um, you're looking at me, Stuart. You don't seem convinced that he's going to do it. When did we last play 4-4-2? I, I can't. 4-4-1-1 uh, is when, when Thierry with Thierry and, and Dennis, yeah. uh, I think. Probably. But I think that's what Arsenal did against Chelsea this year. When you looked at the team, there was a moment when I looked at the pitch and it just looked exactly like that. You could see the four at the back. You could see the four in midfield with the two wide guys. And then you could see Ozil tucked in just behind Sanchez. And it was yeah. if you did it as a tactical drawing, it, that was it. It was the same formation that... Arsenal using the invincible season, but it's take it. You know, it's rare. James, uh, yeah, I, I agree with all the points. Really, I think he hasn't. I think he. Do, I think he doesn't really have a position. It's funny. Like today, uh, Steven Gerrard retired, and in some respects, Ramsey reminds me of Gerrard. Like he's he plays at his best when he's liberated, and you know, you saw Gerrard shift shifted to the right for Liverpool or the left for England. But he was at his best in that number 10 role, almost free role, playing off a striker uh, under Benitez. And I think Ramsey would, would thrive in similar circumstances. And I just don't think it, that's something that we can afford him at Arsenal. Mm. So it's a, it, is a trick, it is a conundrum, but it's clear that Arsene Wenger 
is enamoured with him and, and does want to make it work. I think it's about finding the right partner. $64,000 question there, or the £35 million question, perhaps. <laughs> Who knows? All right, we've got time for a couple of quick ones to finish. A so. couple of quick ones. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Hello. Hello. My name is Peter. I come from uh, the Sporter Club in Gothenburg. Hey. Just... <laughs> we're, we're, we're only recognised two weeks ago as an official Arsenal Supporter Club. So that's... Congratulations to Mark and, and um, the guys. And I know that Mr. Osblog knows us. He's invited to us to come to Gothenburg to have a <laughs> we'll full do. night. No obligations. <laughs> well, who could refuse? <laughs> yeah. I only have one question, and I have it, and you, you touched it, but you haven't never... You, you, you... Sorry? Sorry. But you never dealt with this. Who is our next manager? Who is our next manager? I mean, it could be awesome for one, two years, but who is our next manager that's going to move our clubs forward into the future? Uh, and also, it also on why does Arsene Wenger run his contracts down? Because he's done that before. Thierry Henry left, David Dean at the same time. Why does Arsene Wenger not... You know, if, if you expect your players to extend the contract, surely it's a manager you should be at the forefront of that. Surely he should say, I have five years, I, I believe in the club. Yeah? <laughs> I've always got the feeling that the relationship between Wenger and the board is that they just, they have trust in each other. And I don't think by not renewing before his contract expires is, is a, a massive deal for people at the club. I mean, I think Don't the only time me. it was a, a massive... <laughs> Don't look at me. <laughs> so I think it, w it was a pretty big deal last time, but I don't think there's ever been a situation like the last time where it was so volatile. That was the one where it, was, it really felt like, will he, won't he, and that it was very linked to the sense of where the club was going and whether the way he was running the club was going to be successful or had a chance of being successful. Mm. But having got over that one, I think they're back to where they were before. I mean, it's been 20 years and he's always let it go down to the to the end yeah just going back to the um gothenburg supporters club representative question about who replaces arsene that just depends when he needs replacing i mean we can have that conversation now and assume that he might go in the summer but if we're having the conversation assuming it might be in two or three years totally different people might be available yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You look at the I mean, I'm, I'm, watching, I'm watching Patrick Vieira's development with interest. I don't know how anyone else feels about that, but I think and he's I, 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 evolving like into a genuinely far, far interesting manager. Far more than Thierry. Um, because Thierry is, of course, now the uh, assistant um, uh, at, with the Belgian national team with uh, Roberto Martinez. And obviously, he's, um, I think he has an objective which is quite clear in his mind. Mm. Patrick has been a, a complete success and has also mapped out his career very, very carefully. Um, I maintain that if you were to look at now, I maintain the only one I can, I can think of is Thomas Tuchel. And, um, and again, if he becomes uh, available, uh, mm. Carlo Ancelotti, the ideal transition man. It's just a really difficult question to answer because you're... It's almost impossible. You know, we can't predict the future because if we could, uh, we wouldn't be sitting here because we'd be really rich from betting on horses. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's such a tough question but uh, you know you look down the years 
uh, at guys who were linked with the job, Guardiola, Klopp, people who would have been good candidates and the timing obviously didn't work out because uh, the job wasn't available. Um, uh, what, what I would say perhaps, just, just this thing, is that after Arsene, because of the influence he's had on the club, what you might need is not necessarily a big name, but it's something that the Italians call the ferryman. A, a, a manager, <laughs> not the tinker man, the ferryman, who takes you from one place to the other across the river in safety and assures and shores a, bit, a period of calm and stability before you kick off again. That, <laughs> Good grief, guys. Come on. So look, that's the almost impossible question. So we'll, we'll, uh, we're going to have to wrap it up. So we'll do one more, James. and One more, one more. Here we go. Let's find one. Oh, here we go. Right here. Nice and convenient. Hi, my name's Andy. Um, and we all know how much of a fan of Robert Perez you are. Um, would you rather... Nice simple, <laughs> one, nice simple one. Would you rather have your own looks and the footballing ability of Robert Perez? Or, you know what's coming, Robert Perez's looks, but your footballing ability. <laughs> I, I already have my footballing ability, so... <laughs> um, God, I mean, who wouldn't want to look like Robert Perez? Seriously. Amy? <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair point. Uh, His new hairdo is really weird, though. How dare you? <laughs> Just... I've said nothing. <laughs> Uh, well, would Robert, Robert Perez's footballing ability would, wouldn't, yeah, forever. That would be, it's a very tempting one. But I think I would have, uh, I think I'd have his footballing ability over, over him because he's quite unique and special and gorgeous. So, <laughs> so that's that. That's that. Well, look, we're, we're going to wrap it up. Thank you all so much uh, for coming out tonight. Really appreciate it. Before we go, before we go, I've, one more thing. Uh, Amy and Stuart, as I'm sure you know, have a, a very beautiful book out at the moment. So if you're in uh, the mind to get something for uh, somebody for Christmas early, they've got uh, some books here tonight that they'll quite happily uh, sell and sign. So uh, seek them out, and uh, it's, it's a really beautiful book, and congratulations to you guys uh, for putting it together. Once more, thank you. Thank you, James. Good evening, everybody. Thanks, guys. Thanks to our amazing guests. Bye-bye. Thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.